Amen. If you'd come in and take your seat. Come on in. Come on in. I think you guys should follow the example of these three young men sitting over here, another one back there, each one of them with paper out and ready to take notes. I'm impressed, aren't you? Um, do you ever get tired just thinking about all you have to do? And you haven't even gotten out of bed yet? Um, do you ever find yourself waking up on Monday morning more tired than you were on Friday afternoon? And do you ever find yourself lying in bed at night rehearsing over and over all of the work that you haven't done yet and you can't go to sleep because it's all playing through your mind? Um, do you ever feel guilty about just relaxing and doing nothing? Uh, we are in a series called Relationships 101, the Ten Commandments of Relationship. And the fourth commandment is all about taking a day off, right? Or is it? Today we're going to look at what God has to say about Sabbath. The fourth commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn there. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Although it's not the first commandment, it is the longest commandment. The first commandment focuses on our need to make God first in everything. But having established that God is first, now we have to look a little bit about how we are to live our lives with God being first. So, we're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Ready? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, or made it holy. So, what does God say is the purpose of the Sabbath? But before we can do that, we have to first say, what does the word Sabbath mean? So, what do you think the word Sabbath means? Raise your hands. What do you think the word Sabbath means? Yes. To do nothing. Okay. That's two words. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Sunday. Sunday. Okay. Most people would say, as Kathy did, that it means rest. And I don't think that's far wrong, because that's certainly a part of it. But actually, the word Sabbath means to cease. To put a stop to. To come to an end. The idea was that the seventh day was called the Sabbath. It was to be a day in which you ceased from all labor. All of your work. It was a reminder that man's first day was God's seventh day. God created for six days, and then on the seventh day, He rested. 
man was created on the sixth day. So man's first day was God's seventh day. It was a day of rest. And this Sabbath was a reminder that we were to enter into God's rest. God says every seventh day, you're to take a rest. Why? Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, Jesus said this, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, that's speaking about Himself, Jesus, is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, says, the Sabbath was made to benefit man, not man to benefit the Sabbath. The Sabbath, according to God's design, was for your benefit. That's what it was about. From the very beginning, God established that the Sabbath day was for, lack of a better term, this is my definition, for our restorative recuperation. For our restorative recuperation. And you guys can write those words down as words you don't know, okay? I wish you could see some of these guys' notes sometimes. When they get done taking notes for the sermon, they are the best notes in the world. They do a phenomenal job. This commandment says, remember the Sabbath day. So, when is the Sabbath? Sunday? Interestingly, some other groups like Seventh-day Adventists, how many of you have ever heard of a Seventh-day Adventist? When do they think the Sabbath is? Saturday. When do Jews think the Sabbath is? Saturday. So, why are we here on a Sunday? Well, I think there's a good reason. But just before that, I wanted to just reference, and I know that uh, what I'm about to say could bother a couple of you. Some of you are going to get upset that I would say this. Um, and for some of you other ones, your temptation is going to be to take what I say and run with it farther than what I say and actually do a disservice to it. So listen to what I have to say, but don't be guilty of either one of those things. Okay? Here's what I want to say to you. When it comes to the ideal of Sabbath, I don't think in a real way it matters what day of the week it is. I don't think God cares. I think He does care that you take a Sabbath day. The reason I say that is that on the Sabbath day, you're supposed to cease from all labor. Well, for most pastors, Sundays are not a day of ceasing from labor. In fact, it's the day that they consider the height of their labor. So for most pastors, they don't have a Sabbath on a Sunday. They take their Sabbath often on a Monday, sometimes on a Friday. But they take a day. I think the issue is not so much what day you do it, as that you do it, and as much as possible, you be consistent in what day you do it. So that you're training yourself to cease from your labor in a consistent way. Otherwise, it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, yeah, I'm going to take one day per week, and then that week goes by and you never took a day. Oh, I got so busy, I didn't even think about it. So you train yourself to take a day. I think you should have a Sabbath day, and I think you should have Sabbath moments in every day. Will you train your soul to just rest in the Lord, to be quiet for a while, and to hear the voice in the heart of God. In the New Testament, though, the early Christians took this idea of Sabbath, and they began to meet 
on Sundays instead. And the reason they did is that on Sundays was believed to be the day that Jesus rose from the grave, His resurrection. So they believed that the best day to have a Sabbath was on Resurrection Day. In fact, later on in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle calls it the Lord's Day, which is why we meet together on a Sunday. And I think there's value to having a day in which everybody celebrates Sabbath together. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. But against all of that, I want to be clear. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Later on, in Romans chapter 14, he says, every day alike belongs to God. So I want to be clear that in my mind, at least, as I have read the Scripture, the particular day is not as important as that you take a particular day. That you actually celebrate it. Now, there's going to be somebody here who's going to say, well, if that's true, then I'm just going to say that every day is my Sabbath. No, not according to the Word of God. According to the Word of God, there has to be a set day that you establish as your Sabbath day of resting from your labor. So, what does Sabbath look like for us? God's Word says we're to keep it holy. What does holy look like for a Christian? Well, the word holy means set apart, different, or the best translation for the word holy that I've ever come across is the word other. It's so different that you can't even put a definition on it. And God is saying the Sabbath day is to look different than every other day of your week. Your Sabbath day is to be other than those other days that you work in. So, how do I keep it holy? How do I make it unique, reserved, special? How do I do that? Well, I believe there are four movements that I think are crucial to this. In fact, when I sent my notes to Ben, I had a completely different order of notes altogether. And as I was thinking about it, I felt like uh, in talking with a friend of mine uh, up at Lance's, uh, Jeff Borden and I were sitting together, I felt like this movement is a better description of what God intends for you and I, for our well-being, our benefit, for the Sabbath. So the four movements are very simple. If you're taking notes, they're ceasing, ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. Ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. And I want to look at all four of them really quickly, as quickly as I can at least. First is ceasing. What are we to cease from? In Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth and all that dwells in it, on the sixth day He created the pinnacle of His creation, man, who was made in His image. But then the Scripture says, on the seventh day God rested. God didn't rest because God was tired. He has infinite power and infinite energy. I personally believe, and so does most of the Scripture, I believe, that God rested on the seventh day so that the first day that man would have upon the earth would be a day of rest. So that we would recognize the utter need we have to have one day that we cease from all labor and we rest in God. In fact, the truth is, we don't rest from our work we rest so that we can work. We start from a place of rest rather than we rest after we've done all of our work. We work from rest instead of resting from work. But it's more than just choosing to not vacuum today 
I, I was raised in a generation and in a place where Sabbath was taken very, very seriously. I don't know if it was for you. On the Sabbath day, we weren't allowed to do laundry. Didn't matter what happened. No laundry. No cooking on the Sabbath day. Everything had to be cooked the day before and you just ate whatever was there that day. There was no going out to restaurants. There were no stores open. How many of you remember when stores first started opening on Sunday? It was like, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. It was taken very, very seriously. But I think it's about more than just not cooking or not going out to eat or any of that kind of stuff. It's more than not choosing to clean your house today because suddenly the kids made a mess and you've got to leave it sitting there until Monday morning. I think it's about more than that. I think it's ceasing this drive that we have, especially we Americans, this drive to be productive, to be efficient, to have produced something that says, I'm worth something, because we measure our worth from it. It's a ceasing from worry and anxiety. I think a lot of us, in the name of prayer, spend a whole lot of time worrying about stuff we shouldn't worry about. Is if somehow the world depends upon us. If I worry enough, maybe it won't happen. I wonder how much you've worried about has never happened, and it's not because you worry. It's stopping being consumed with trying to get ahead. Trying to get that promotion at work. Is if somehow the promotion is the end all of everything. If I could only get that new title, that new office, that new promotion. It's not being concerned so much about our career. It's not making money our driving force. Recognition. What motivates us. All of those forces that say work harder, work longer, work more. God says, on the Sabbath day, those things need to cease. You need to reevaluate and refocus your priorities. What really matters in life? What's really important? Psalm 23, verse 1. Some of you guys, how many of you guys know Psalm 23? How does this start out? Keep going. He makes me to lie down. Has God ever made you to lie down? Good example. Yeah. You didn't choose it. You were going along just fine. You were driven to do more and more. I want to be productive. And God says, ah, I don't think so. You've skipped too many Sabbaths. We need to take cumulative Sabbath here. How about a couple of weeks in the hospital? I'm not saying God does it. Please don't hear that. I wonder sometimes if sickness is a reminder to us we're not all that we think we are. All of a sudden our breath is taken away. We can't sleep. We can't eat. And we thought all of that stuff was what made us who we are. I remember uh, I was actually with Pastor Pete Miller. Some of you guys remember Pastor Pete? He had gotten really, really sick. Uh, we used to meet together every single Tuesday morning for prayer, a bunch of us guys. Pete was there, and we would often meet at Leroy because it was central, and we would meet for prayer. Well, Pete got really, really sick, and so we had to meet in other places for a couple weeks because Pete couldn't be around. And then we finally got back to Leroy, and we were with Pete. And I can remember him saying something like, 
God met with me so powerfully while I was sick. In fact, there came a point where I couldn't do anything for myself, but all I could do was being in his presence. And I thought, okay, that's never that way for me. When I'm sick, I want everybody to leave me alone and let me curl up in a ball and just die. I don't meet with God when I'm sick. But all of a sudden, when Pete said that, I thought, wait a minute. Maybe God even allows us sometimes, some time down, just to recuperate in his presence. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And some people say, yeah, but pastor, when I relax, when I just stop doing stuff, I feel so guilty. Isn't it weird that God would rest and he didn't feel guilty? That Jesus went aside and rested several times away from the crowds and he didn't feel guilty? I guess my question to you is, whose example are you following? Are you following God's example or are you following the world's example? Which says if you don't keep working, you're no good. Somehow we have to get it in our mind that we need to take a Sabbath. And an unwillingness to take a day off is basically saying the world can't go on without me. That's what it's really saying. I'm too important. Maybe you ought to resign your position and let God be God instead of you trying to be God. So the first thing we need to do is we need to have a ceasing from our striving. Number two, we need to have a resting. A resting. And I'm not here talking about vegging out, doing nothing, staying in your bed all day. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about binge-watching the office, or anything else. I'm talking about spending time just resting in God, being in His presence. It's a deliberate response against the world's pressure to hurry and to perform. Um, I said to you last week, and I've said this for a long time, I think sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. And I meant that sincerely then, and I mean it now. I don't mean, by the way, a nap that causes you to take the covers and put them over your head and try to escape from the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just being able to say, God, I'm at peace in my heart, and my body needs to rest, so I'm going to rest. My soul, my emotions need to rest as well. Sometimes a Sabbath means avoiding some difficult, draining activities, even at times avoiding difficult, draining people. Just saying, I just need a break to let my soul kind of refocus and recharge, just as Jesus went aside from the crowds. Um, There are times when I have found for myself that I sit in my chair at night, and I'm not hungry. I know I'm not hungry, but I feel hungry for something. And so I usually get out something, and I eat snacks. And when I'm done, I feel sick because I've eaten too much because I was never hungry in the first place. And I neglect the truth that what was hungry was not my body. What was hungry was my soul. What I needed was time with God. And sometimes I pick up on it, but all too often I neglect it. So when it comes time to recharge or refocus our emotions, our souls, what should be included? I think there should be three things included. Number one, you need to include time for quietness. Time for quietness. The Bible says, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. Psalm 23.3, He leads me beside quiet waters, or still waters. He restores my soul. God says, be still and know that I am God. We need to purposefully schedule into our schedules quiet time. 
I'm asking you honestly, how frequently do you schedule quiet time? Do you do that on a regular basis where you just say, I need time just to sit before God and be quiet? Not even necessarily to do my Bible reading. Not even to just necessarily pray. I just need time to be quiet in God's presence. To feel His presence. To feel His warmth. To feel His embrace. Just to be in His presence. Many people use the whole weekend to cease from their labor. They don't go to work for that whole weekend. But the funny thing is, when they go back to work, they're more tired than when they ended work. Because they never allowed their souls to recharge. How many of you have ever said, I need a vacation from vacation? Why? Because you were so busy on vacation doing tours and going and doing stuff and packing stuff up and going from this to that to keep everybody happy. There's never a point where you're just quiet. And we train our kids in this. We train our kids that it's not fun unless you're constantly doing. Instead of saying, no, there has to be time when you just sit quietly and wait on God. Time to decompress emotionally and spiritually. Mark 6.31 says this, There were so many people coming and going that Jesus said to His disciples, let's go off by ourselves where we'll be alone and you can rest for a while. Someone said once, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. Let me say it again. If you don't come apart, you will come apart. I read recently about some missionaries that were moving from one station in Africa to another. So they hired a village of people to help transport all of their goods through the jungles to the next station. And the first day was going really slowly, so at the midday break, the missionaries got together and decided they needed to hurry things up a little bit or else it would take them way too long to get to their new station. So they began to press. And so for the next day and a half, two days, they pressed. The second day, they went farther than they had gone the first day. And the third day, they went even farther than they had the first two days. And that night around the fire, they were congratulating themselves on being great managers of their time. They were making up time they had lost and all that. Fourth day, fourth day, they got up to go and all the villagers sat around the fire. And the missionary said, well, what's going on? They said, well, we can't leave. And he said, but why? You all look like you're fine. He said, oh no, we're, we're fine. But we went so quickly yesterday that we've left our souls behind. We have to wait for our souls to catch up. And I wonder how often we do the same kind of thing. We're so busy hurrying that we don't take time just to be quiet and wait. Brother Lawrence, who was one of the early church saints, wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of the Lord. I'd encourage it to all of you. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. Get the book. I have a copy or copies. But you ought to read it. Practicing. He found that there was the need to have a Sabbath day, but also Sabbath in your days where you're aware of His presence. So we need to include time for quietness. We need to include time for family. And this is where a lot of you will agree with me up until a certain point. In American history and throughout history, for all history, Sundays were largely for two things. Church and family. In that order. Church and family. Unfortunately, both of those things have largely passed away. So that we don't even have 
families getting together. We don't even have families eating together anymore. We don't know how to do family, and we don't know how to commit to church. God has plans all throughout His Word, not only for individuals, but for families. As I'm reading through my Scripture reading this year again, going through especially Samuel's, Kings, and Chronicles, I am again surprised at how often God doesn't just talk about the tribes of people. He talks about families and His purpose and how He uses those families. And yet, so many people today, even men today, Christian men, are so driven to make money that they neglect their family. Or if they're not making money, they're home doing work at home. They don't know how to actually take a Sabbath. They neglect their families. The idea is not to try to make up on Sunday what you hadn't been able to do all week because you've been at your real job. The idea is to actually take a full Sabbath and believe that by honoring God with that Sabbath, recharging your own body and your soul, you'll actually be more productive in the long run. In the same way that if you give God the 10% of the tithe, He will cause your 90% to go further. That's the principle that God is laying out for us. At Family Life Church, we are committed to strong families. In fact, part of the reason why we renamed our church Family Life Church is we have a commitment to see families grow strong, to make it. And one of the ways that we made the conscious decision to do that is we stopped doing Sunday nights. Not because they can't be good, not because God doesn't meet with us, but because we believe that it would be better for you to stay home and actually practice some family time where it's more than just sitting in front of the TV and watching football, you actually do something with your family. In fact, I think it would do well for many of us to figure out what are things that we can do with our families that would be enjoyable and refreshing to everybody in the family. Maybe it might even mean turning off the TV. Maybe it would be turning on the TV to watch a favorite show together, to talk about it. Maybe it would be playing games non-competitive games where it doesn't cause everybody to be fighting. Like Monopoly or something like that. I say that only because in my family, that used to be where a lot of our fights were. Um, Time for family, but it's also time where our family is instructed in worship. When people choose to not come on a Sunday, on the Sabbath, because their family trumps the Sabbath, you have now made your family an idol. And we've already looked at that. You've made your family more important than God. Instead of teaching your family about God, they say, well, no, I teach them good morals. I teach them the principles. No, your family follows your example far more than your words. And when you say, "Uh, we're too tired today, or "Uh, we're we're behind in yard work. We've got to get the yard work done. Or, you know, let's just take a day of rest and go to Darien." You are by example modeling something that says your family trumps a Sabbath day set aside for God. Family and God. And then thirdly, include time for quietness, include time for family, and include time for fellowship. But the way I'm going to handle the fellowship is by actually taking you into the third movement. I think it would be easier to do that. The third movement was embracing. What are we to embrace? I think we're to embrace time together with the family of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another daily. We need to learn to understand the essential value of being a part of a family like this family. 
I'm not saying we're the best in the world. I don't know what your family is like, but my family, my Lonneville family is not the best family in the world. We've got our issues. We have members of my extended family that won't talk with other members of my family. Or we've got members of my extended family that will get together with us, but not with us if it means getting together with another member. I mean, it's messed up sometimes. It's bad. I'm not saying families are perfect, but God has determined that He would set us in families. And that by being in families, we can support and encourage, we can love, and we can learn to honor and see the image of God in each other. I can't tell you how many times over the years uh, on Sundays, I, I honestly, and I know this is going to bother some of you, there have been many Sundays when I haven't felt like coming to church. Where I've been tired, weary, weary in soul and weary in body. I didn't want to come. Maybe something had happened that had upset me. That happens. Happens even in my life. Maybe my wife and I had had an argument about something. And I just didn't feel like coming and pretending in front of anybody. But I can't tell you how many times over the years I came anyways. Well, I kind of had to because I am the pastor. But I came and invariably something happened. It could be the worship team led in a song, a song that we've done many, many times. But suddenly that song hit something deep in my soul and something broke in the presence of God. My pride and my arrogance that thought I was right or the weariness began to leach out of me and I began to have fresh hope in God. Or maybe somebody came up and just said to I've had times when people have come up and said something to me out of the blue just to bring a word of encouragement. And all of a sudden I realized I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. Life was better than what I had thought. And it got better because of that. There are times when, because of my personality, I am, for those of you that just did the Myers-Briggs thing, I am an ISTJ, which means that I often don't feel like I fit in. Other people who are very extroverted and they're the life of the party, they have fun. I'm the guy usually sitting on the periphery watching it, enjoying it, but I still sit back here. And there can be times when you don't feel like you fit in. This is the hardest thing I do with my week, is standing in front of people and speaking. But there are times when, even as an ISTJ, I find out that I still need family. I still need you. I still need times when we get together and we worship God. And suddenly in the midst of worship, and it happened even for me last Sunday, in the midst of worship I thought, man, there is nothing better than being in God's presence. But the one thing that might be better would being in God's presence with you all. Because as we're singing those songs, I thought, I think they actually mean what they're singing. I think their heart is in it. And that's part of being a member of the family. David said in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's something about individually meeting with God, but also something about corporately meeting with God. The recognition that we need one another. I need you, and you need me. And you need each other. We need the family of God. It's not uncommon for somebody to come up to me at the end of the service and say, Pastor, I, I wasn't going to come today. I was just so tired out and I knew I had some things I had to get done before tomorrow or else my whole week would be messed up and I wasn't going to come just because I just felt like I just need to have some time at home. But I came anyways and I am so glad I did. God met with me. And that happens again and again through the years. Um... I have thought at times 
that church was like unbelievably impactful. Have you ever been in those kind of services where like God was just present? I've also been in church where it was a dud. I've been in church where uh, I've been in service here where when I got done, I went home and I said to God, God, I was bored while I was preaching. God, help these poor people. But you know what I have discovered over the years? It's not all dependent on me. It's not all about me at all. It's about Jesus. And so, yeah, there might be days that aren't as good as other days. Do you not have days at home when it's not as good as other days? But you're still family. You still stick together. In the same way, there are Sundays that aren't as good as other Sundays. For me. When we come together, it's like, wow, the worship just felt a little down, a little bit lame today. I don't know what's going on. And then when I get up to preach, it was even more so. It's like, oh, God, help us. But I've discovered that though there might be down days, there's also really up days. There are days that are like, wow. God showed up. I can remember days when literally I hid under the pews because I was so afraid because God's presence was so powerful. But you know you can't know when those days are going to be. So you know what I do? I choose to come every day because I never know when it's going to be one of those that's going to be the undoing for me and changing my life forever. And those other days, when I feel like maybe it didn't impact me enough, maybe God actually allowed that to happen so that I could be an encouragement to somebody. Maybe God would actually use you to encourage somebody. So we need family together. The Bible says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So we need to have a time in which we embrace one another. We recognize we're family together. And then finally, the last one, which honestly is one of my favorites, is feasting. In the New Testament, every time the church got together, they had a meal. They ate together. They enjoyed feasting on one another in the emotional and soul support that they were. Feasting on the Lord, but also feasting on good food. They ate their meals together, they fellowshiped together, they opened God's Word, and they ate together. Wouldn't it be an amazing tradition if Sundays became a day in which you chose to get together with other people for meals? Maybe you're, you're one of those kind of people that you're really good at that. You're good at having people into your house so you don't care what your house looks like. None of that ever bothers you. It's just like, let's just let's do life together. Let's eat together. Or maybe you're one of those kind of people that's harder for you for whatever reason and there's no judgment in it. It's just the recognition of your personality and how you were raised. That's just how it is. But maybe you could get together with some friends and go out to eat together. Maybe, you know, pick a local restaurant, go down to Silver Lake or Lori's and have lunch together where everybody pays their own way, but you have fellowship together over a meal. Or maybe, it, maybe it's not even a whole meal. Maybe like for your budget, that's just too tight. Can we at least get together and get a coffee? Or a Diet Coke. It's a dollar eight at McDonald's. I don't know how I know that. Um, I don't know. But get together and actually have some time. In fact, I thought we ought to rename Sundays Good Food and Good Company. Just time when you get together, you eat together, you enjoy one another's presence, you come together first to worship God as body, to be rejuvenated in your own souls, and then you get together with people and you enjoy it together. 
a Christian saint called Sundays, and I love this, the festivity of weekly eschatological parties. There it is. The festivity of weekly eschatological parties. Don't you like that? It's powerful. Eschatological is the study of end times. In other words, it's saying when we get together, there's a sense of current joy. It's good to be in one another's presence and in the presence of the Lord. But it's also the recognition there's going to be a day when we're really going to be in His presence like never before when He comes back for His church. The festivity of weekly eschatological parties. That's what it ought to be. A party together. A celebration together. It's an awareness of present joy, but also future anticipation of greater joy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The tragedy is that many people, even many Christians, take a day off, but they don't take a Sabbath. They don't have time to wait on God, to be in His presence, to be in the presence of His family. They don't take time to cease from their labor, to rest, to embrace, and ultimately to feast. They don't worship God on Sundays. They worship themselves. They have made Sundays fun days. They have made their personal preference higher than what God has made His. Mark 8.36 says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm ending with this because as I thought about how I wanted to end today, I wanted to just barely give you a question I want you to ask yourself. This is something I want everybody to ask themselves. What did you exchange your life for this past week? Because you had one week. You had 168 hours. What did you spend your life on for those 168 hours? What did you give your life in exchange for? Is there ever a point in that time where you met with God? I'm not talking about just a breath prayer, although that's good. Meet with God several times throughout your days with what I call breath prayers. Just as you're in it, you're just aware of His presence. That's good. But do you ever take time to stop everything else and just be in His presence? Do you make coming here on Sundays, the Lord's Day, our chosen day to have a Sabbath together, do you make that a day in which you say, that's my priority. I'm going to do that. Above all else, I need the family of God. Do you take time to feast, yes, on God's presence, and the soul strength that brothers and sisters bring you, but also feast with good food together. What will I give as I move forward for this next week? What will your life look like? He says, what good is it to gain the world, yet forfeit your soul? What can a man give in exchange for soul? What are you going to exchange for your soul this week? How are you going to spend it? Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and overburdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. How have you been spending your Sabbaths? Are they really Sabbaths, or are they just a day off? A day that you get away from the office, or your job, but you continue to work at home. What is your Sabbath really like? Would you stand with me? Somewhere in the mix, there ought to be a time where you are training yourself 
and training your family that God is number one. And they should know it by how you prioritize the rest of your life. If, perchance, in your schedule, there are times when because of the demands of your work that you don't have a choice in, you can't be here. Is there another day that week that you purpose to make a Sabbath so that you're saying to yourself and to your family, I am celebrating a Sabbath. I am going to spend time with God and with His people. Worship will be a part of it and feasting will be a part of it. Friendship will be a part of it. How do you exchange your life in these hours of each week? Would you bow your heads in prayer? Father, I thank you for each one that was here and the truth of your word that you said we are to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And then later on you said this is an everlasting covenant that you make with us. It's, it's not an option. You command us to take a Sabbath. But when we begin to really Sabbath together, something shifts in us and it's no longer a command. It's a joy and a privilege. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to worship you together here with your family to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to support one another. And then, Lord, as you provide, being able to actually sit down over meals together with good food and good company, getting to know one another better as the family of God. Thank you for this privilege, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. If perchance you would like prayer, as with each Sunday, we'll always have either myself or one of the elders up here. If you need prayer for some reason, just let us know. But other than that, you are free. Thank you so much.